Hi, this is Buddy and X, and welcome to another episode of The Candid Frame. One of the questions that's often asked of many photographers or educators is, how can I become a professional photographer? And that's that's never an easy question to answer. At least it isn't for me because the question is always informed by what that person perceives being a professional photographer is. And while it, of course, means making a living as a photographer, I think the, the, the bigger question oftentimes is, how can I make photography or, or creativity a more a bigger part of my life so that I can experience much more joy, satisfaction, um, challenges than I may be having in my life currently? And when I see people who do make the choice either to become professional photographers or to become artists and to practice something that they love, the, the big question is, why is that person able to do it and someone else not? And uh, I kind of touched a little bit on that last week. Uh, but it's something that's always on the forefront of my mind every time I choose to interview someone. And it's the question of not only how do they do it, but why they did it. And that for me is always much more informative than anything else that they could tell me in terms of the mechanics of how they went from point A to point B. Uh, with point B being the fact that they're out there making a living as a as a photographer. So when I had the chance to interview Allison Turner, I was really curious because she made a huge leap from enjoying a six-figure income um, in, in corporate America and then leaving it all behind and literally going on the road and not even knowing exactly where her next destination was. She just knew that she wanted the next day, the next week, to be something completely unexpected and unpredictable. And along the way, she started picking a camera, and as as time has passed by, photography has become a big part of her life. And when I take a look at her images, you wouldn't know that she doesn't have any sort of formal training in, in photography and that she hasn't, you know, she hasn't gone through the usual paths that many people go to in order to get work as a photographer, but her work is great and her story is even better. And uh, I'm really excited to bring this conversation to you because I think that regardless of where you are in your creative life, uh, you're really going to have a lot of fun with this. So sit back and enjoy our conversation with Allison Turner. This episode of The Candle Frame is brought to you by Squarespace. If you've been wanting to have a website that really professionally showcases your work, then there's no better resource than Squarespace. Squarespace has this beautiful and intuitive website platform that allows anyone to easily create professional web pages, blogs, online stores and galleries, and it all happens on a single platform. Simply start with one of Squarespace's award-winning designs, add images and content, anything you'd like to sell online, then connect your social accounts, and you'll have a website that looks great on any device. 
Now, all Squarespace accounts come with award-winning 24-7 support, as well as cloud hosting and real-time analytics. So if you sign up for a year, they even give you a free domain name. Now, whether you're a creative professional, a business owner, or a blogger, Squarespace makes it easy to bring your ideas to life. And if you want to start selling your work, well, Squarespace makes that easy too. It's, it's never been easier to do. Squarespace Commerce lets you add a fully integrated store to your website and instantly start accepting payments, sell anything, easily add a store to any Squarespace website and start selling physical and digital goods immediately. You can manage your inventory, process customer orders, print packing slips, and customize emails all in an easy to use interface. And there are flexible options too. So you, you have handy settings that let you quickly set up multiple shipment tools, tax rules, and, and, and coupons. But one of the best things about Squarespace is that it's so fast and easy to use. It, these, these templates are 100% drag and drop. And you have all these customization tools available to you. There's a, there's a new page builder called the Layout Engine that enables you to customize pages in seconds by adding blocks of content such as photos, videos, text, social media content, and immediately preview that layout as you go. This makes it easier for anyone to build a website. For a free trial, go to squarespace.com forward slash candid frame. Sign up for a free account. No credit card is needed. Just try it out and start building your website today. Then if you decide to purchase it, use the offer code CANDIDFRAME3 and get 10% off your first purchase on new accounts, including monthly and annual plans. That's squarespace.com and use the offer code CANDIDFRAME3 everything you need to create an exceptional website. Well, Allison, welcome to The Candid Frame. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Let's start with your life before you ended up traveling a across the, the country and picking up a camera. Um, you were working in... That what you've described as sort of the junk mail industry, and yeah. you were, you know, making a, a really good living at that. But what was it about your life at that point that left you so dissatisfied and made you feel like, God, I really need to make a change? I think it was just years of working in advertising, and although I thought when I got into the business that it would be really creative, unfortunately, it wasn't at all. And I worked so many hours and I was just creatively unfulfilled and just realized that the job just wasn't healthy for me anymore. It was long hours. It was very stressful. And um, I just saved all my money as much as I could. So I was able to say that I didn't want to do anymore and then just decided to drive around America and see what I can find. Had this been this idea of just traveling across the country, was that something that had been fermenting for a long time or did it really sort of come to you sort of late in the game and you felt like, well, I need to make a change and this sounds as good of a, as good of an idea as anything else? Um, I think, well, I've always been an explorer since I was a kid and, and when I was a child, we'd get into the station wagon and drive around on family trips but I've always been driven to climb the corporate ladder, per se, and so that's what I did when I graduated college. I thought that the best thing for me to do was just to work right out of the gate and just to work my way up in a big corporation. But once I started doing that, I just realized that life was passing me by, and I just I had a lot of loss in my family and, and wanted to be able to spend my life doing something I really enjoyed. 
So some people would think that, well, why don't you just make a career change rather than, you know, <laughs> give, giving everything up? I mean, that's so smart. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think most people would make that choice. So why why wasn't that an option for you? Um, I guess it it was. I mean, it could be an option. I felt that I just wanted to do a major change in my life, and I I wanted to just drive around and explore and. I guess at the time, the only option would be to work for a competitor, and I just wanted to get out of that business altogether, but I really didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. So I thought, what better idea than just to drive around aimlessly (laughs) across the country with the teardrop trailer, and so I did that for a year, and then um, the following two years, I lived out of a tent, and then um, this will be my second year out of a van. Wow. I mean, it's it's a complete 180. Yes. You, you have a life where everything is sort of laid out for you, you know, and then right. all and it's very predictable. And then you go from being from that to being completely unpredictable. You wake up one morning and you decide, well, I'm going to go this direction as opposed to, to the other direction and, right. and seeing what what happens. What what were those first weeks and months like for you? Because that's a, that's a big transition. Did you feel any sort of nervousness or, or trepidation about uh, about it once you started actually doing it? Or did you just sort of slide right into it? I think at the very beginning, I was so excited about doing something different that I didn't think about it too much. And then a few weeks into it, I was thinking to myself, what did I get myself into? Because I would just drive around, not really having a purpose and not having a plan. I would blog about where I go, but they're really, and I would write in a journal, but I still wasn't feeling that, um, that I made the right decision until I just started. Um, I picked up a camera, it was a little point and click, and I started taking pictures. That's how it started. And when you started making photographs, um, what were you taking pictures of? Because when people go to your site, they'll see that you make a lot of portraits of, of people. Did you immediately start off with that? Or were you just sort of documenting little aspects of, of your travels and sort of, uh, and eventually sort of segue into making photographs of people? I think at the beginning, I would take pictures just for my blog. I would take pictures of uh, the parks that I went to. And at the time, I had a dog, Maggie, and I'd take pictures of my dog and pictures of my campsite and just things that are just part of traveling and part of my life, but I never really thought much about it. I would just take the pictures just to show people visually where I was. It wasn't until a few years into it where I started actually really enjoying challenging myself to take pictures. So at the beginning, it wasn't of people at all. It was just of things. How did the people photography, when did you realize that, wow, this is a thing for me. I'm really enjoying doing this and I'm actually doing it really, really well. When did that sort of epiphany happen for you? It was the second year and I was living in a tent and I was driving up the coast of California and I was near the Redwood Forest. And I remember that night I had to park and hike up to my campsite. So I had to lug all my gear with me and then take my dog and my tent and uh, camp up in bear country. And it was really frightening for me at the time. But um, in the morning, I drove around and I stopped at an RV park to get some coffee. And when I went in there, there was this character that was serving coffee and he had an apron on and he was smoking a pipe. And the moment I saw him, I just knew I had to take his photograph. And I did and we chatted for a little bit. 
And then when I went back to look at the photographs, I was so excited about getting, um, just capturing this character that I think that was the beginning of wanting to do more of that. Oh. Did you have to sort of gird yourself up? Because approaching strangers is not the easiest thing, particularly mm-hmm. when you're when you're traveling alone across the, you know, across the country. You're in unfamiliar territory to begin with. Yes. You know, and you don't know anyone and you're approaching them and asking them to take your picture. You can be, you can feel very vulnerable. So did that sort of come slowly to you and you gain more confidence? How did, how did that work for you? Well, I'm really shy by nature, and I think being a stranger and not knowing not knowing where I am and not knowing who I'm talking to is actually an advantage because I can play a very outgoing person, mm-hmm. even though they don't know me, so I don't really have anything to lose, as opposed to if it's harder for me to approach strangers that are closer to home for some reason, huh. but, but I just practice it, and it's kind of a muscle, you just continue to do it and it gets easier but then when i stop doing it i have to start all over again if that makes sense no no that makes that makes perfect sense being out on the road and being by by yourself for the most part did that take you some time to get used to because most people when they when they travel if they are traveling alone it's usually for a very short period of time and you have all this time for yourself with only your, your thoughts. And I know that you had your dogs to, to keep you company at different points mm-hmm. in there. But still, when you live in today's culture, there are so many distractions. There, There's the computer, there's the television, there's the radio, there's the internet. There's all these distractions that can help keep us out of our head. Mm-hmm. But when you're out there and you're just by yourself, you have pretty much just your thoughts. So how was that for you? And was it was it a good thing for you? Well, living in my head all the time isn't necessarily a good thing, (laughs) but I guess I just keep myself busy as much as I can. And a lot of times I would meet people that follow my blog that maybe we become pen pals online. And so they offered their home or their place. So I'd meet them on the road. So that would always mix things up for me. But yeah, I, I guess I learned to live with the thoughts, but at some times I would write them down and you know, there are times where I do get lonely, but I try to stay busy so much that I don't have time to to feel the loneliness per se. Yeah. The blog seems to have been really critical for for you in terms of you communicating with people and, you know, and keeping in touch with with friends and people that you encountered, but it seems like it was really an important aspect of your growth as a photographer. Did you find that the feedback that you were getting to the from the images that you posted, particularly of, of people, was that really sort of not just encouraging to you, but starting giving started giving you a sense in terms of maybe there's something that I can do with this? I think so. And it really was my close friends who kept telling me that they enjoyed the photographs and I would always answer with, well, it's just a point-and-click camera. It's no big deal. And I didn't really know how to use the camera. And this is before the iPhones and everything. So it was an actual little camera that I would take around. And I don't know, I just kind of worked my way up. And when I blogged about it, people would say they liked the characters. And I was so excited about that first character. Then I just became obsessed with finding people to um, talk to and introduce myself to. And then I really actually started enjoying the stories and listening to the person that they are and what they do for a living. And so that in itself became more of um, something that I wanted to do rather than forcing myself to do. 
when when was a, a moment where all of a sudden that you had the opportunity to do more with your images than just post them on your on your blog? Because you've you've had images published in a, a variety of different places, different magazines. You've been exhibited in some in some shows. But uh, when was when was the moment where all of a sudden you found that there was an interest outside of your blog for your photographs? Well, I think it all started when I uh, met up with some women that all had Airstreams. And I had a little teardrop trailer at the time that was silver. It wasn't an Airstream. They called themselves the Silver Sisters, and I wanted to go camp with them. So I did, and I took pictures of the experience. And so um, I sent those pictures to Airstream, and they took a liking to them and contacted me. And I and I wrote an article for the magazine there. And then the corporation wanted me to come um, document this annual event called Illumapalooza. So I was a little nervous doing that because I didn't know how to work a big camera and I didn't even have a big camera at the time, but I told them that I didn't. So they understood and they still hired me. So it kind of snowballed from there. So you did that first assignment with your port and shoot camera? Yes. That's awesome. (laughs) That is great. But the client was well aware of it. So, you know, I guess it doesn't matter what tools you have in some cases. Well, they liked what what you were doing. Yeah, so that was nice. So when that that opportunity and you started getting published and other opportunities started showing up, when did you start thinking about this as not just sort of a supplement to what you were doing for your own travels and and rather going, well, let me try and make a go of it as a as a photographer. I guess I don't know. I, I get jobs here and there, and sometimes I don't think that I'm you know the professional photographer, but. I think I do it because I have this innate drive to do it and I love looking at photographs of other artists and I mean I can't even imagine going a day without looking at new work and going to museums or looking at art in some capacity. Mm -hmm. So I think it's just wanting to be better all the time and it's not even just the photograph. I think the camera is really an excuse to do fun things. (laughs) I was looking at uh, one of your earlier blog postings of... uh the opportunity you had to go out with the fishermen. Yes. I mean, that's just, that's a perfect example of, of an opportunity created as a result of having a, a camera and being willing to engage people in conversation. Tell us the story about how all that happened. Absolutely. And that just goes back to your earlier question about approaching strangers. When I do have the camera in, in front of me and between the stranger, I feel like it's a, it's a buffer. So I feel safer in that respect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that situation came about because I just threw out to the universe, in this case, it, his name was Ralph, that I wanted to go on a, a fisherman boat, and um, particularly a lobster boat when I was in Maine. And and it all stems back from Palooza because I met this couple there that I really I got along with well, and they live in an island in Maine, and they always said if I was in the area, I can stay with them. So I took them up on their offer, and I met their neighbor, His name is Ralph, and he used to be the official photographer for the state of Maine. So then I did a little story on him, and Maine the magazine picked that up and did a little Q&A for the magazine. And then the following year, I went back to visit him again and just mentioned that I would love to go on a lobster boat. And he would have coffee and breakfast with these lobster fishermen every single morning in the summer. So that he just mentioned to them that I wanted to do it, but they kind of grumbled and said they didn't want a woman on the boat. (laughs) And so he came back to me and said, why don't you come with me? And I said, okay, I just wanted to chat with the fisherman and just, you know, be a part of that experience. And basically he threw me in and said, okay, here she is. She's going with you. 
<laughs> That's a good friend. I was okay, and the fishermen just kind of shrugged their shoulders and said, all right, get on the boat. So that's kind of how it happened. I just stayed out of their way. Well, those are some beautiful images. I mean, I know you're, you're, you're very modest in terms of your, your, your work, but I, when I looked at that, I felt like, wow, that's, that's a good photographer because you, you really tell the story. You're not just taking the overall shots. You have these wonderful detail shots and you have a great use of, of color and composition. It's just, I was having a real fun time just looking at that, that series of images. When you were, when you're shooting all those pictures, is it because you don't have any a particular formal training? So where did that sensibility come from in terms of being able to create all those shots that really tell a story of what that experience was like? Is that just sort of innate? Is it, does it come from looking at all these other photographs of people that you admire? Yes. I think it has a lot to do with that. I would, I would always look at the Los Angeles Times. They have um, a blog that I look through and the New York Times. And I would always want to put together a story, but never really, um, never really did it like one particular story. So I'm always looking for an angle and putting together photographs, especially of that trip, it really helped to tell a story. Mm -hmm. But I did go to Julia Dean for some classes there. And as I mentioned to you earlier, Aline is one of my mentors. And so she has really helped me and she's built this community of photographers. So it's nice to be able to feel a part of this group where everybody has the same interests. So it helps me in that respect too, to become friends with them on Facebook and, and watch their work too. So um, the more I see, the more influence I get by other people's work. Mm. The other series that you did was on the, the bingo halls. Yes. <laughs> tell, tell us about that because that is a, a uniquely American experience. And it looks like you had shot different bingo halls throughout the country, not just one location. Is that right? That's right. It started in Maine, and uh, I just drove down a back road and saw this sign out in front saying, Bingo Tonight at 7 p.m., or I think it was like on a Wednesday night. So I stuck around, and I decided just to walk in the hall, and I did. And um, it was like I walked into another world. <laughs> it was just amazing to me. And it was a group of all these characters and these people that would meet at the same time every week and it was their social hour and uh, they all knew each other and they saw me with my camera when I came in and and they knew what I was doing I just wanted to document the the experience so after that experience at the bingo hall in, in Maine I was just hooked so then I went down I went to one in Norwood in uh, Massachusetts and I went down to Myrtle Beach and then I went to Savannah and just kind of all around the states at different bingo halls that I would just show up at unannounced and just document the players. Okay. You got to clarify that for me a little bit. Did you just kind of show up and then start making pictures? Did you start talking with people? I mean, you know, a lot of people would think, well, you have to get permission first. So considering you're going to all these different locations and sort of walking in there with a camera, what was your sort of approach for being able to take advantage of those opportunities? Well, I would just walk into the hall with a smile and just say, hi, who's in charge? And, oh, look at this and that, and just start talking to people. And um, everybody was really friendly. And except, you know, some places where girls aren't allowed, I wasn't able to take pictures. But other than that, it was, it was, it was really fun and people were, you know, they didn't seem to mind. There was a few people that didn't want me to take their picture. And so understandably, I didn't put the camera by them. But yeah. 
But everybody, because they saw the camera in front of their face, they knew I was taking their photographs. So they would nod and, um, you know, I'd just chat with them. And it was more of like the experience overall. But once they get into the game, it's almost like their blinders are on and they don't see anything around them anymore. <laughs> they concentrate on the game. So. Yeah, they're there to win. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they don't even know I'm there anymore, really. Your portraits are, are, are beautiful, and uh, you have a lot of that. A lot of photographs that you've made as part of being sort of in that that airstream community. Yeah, which I think you know, just the fact that you're you're sort of part of that group makes it makes it easier in terms of sort of engaging with people and getting photographs made. But what I'm curious to know about is more uh, about your 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 style and your approach it seems like most of the shots except for some indoor shots seem to be primarily uh, available light mm-hmm. I, i'm kind of curious to see about when you're photographing people what are you looking for because sometimes it's the relationship between them and the trailer but other times it's you know other other elements in the in the background not just the trailer what what are you thinking about when you're at a, at a location and you have an interesting character that you want to photograph do you actively search for like a, a good spot because of the lighting or the background in order to put them out? How does that work for you? Well, with Airstreams, it's always good to have an overcast day to photograph them with their trailers since they're so shiny. But uh, when I do see a character, I just I, I briefly talk to them. But at the same time, my mind's going, okay, uh, what kind of personality do they have? Um, do they have pets? Where you know, what do they like to do? And um, so I would. I'd want to position them in a spot that they felt comfortable and it's more of an interaction between the two of us than for me telling them exactly what to do. I just ask them about um, things that they like and what they do. And so some of them are on bikes and a lot of them have their pets with them. And even though I don't have an Airstream, it's just um, I get along with all those um, Airstreamers because we all have the same mindset of travel. So, And everybody's just so friendly there, so that helps. Yeah. That image of the brothers that was exhibited here in Los Angeles and was profiled in a, in a couple of magazine articles, that is just a gorgeous, gorgeous photograph. Thank you. Um, tell me about the story about that particular image. Where was it and how did that, how did that come about? That was in Palm Springs at the Palm Springs Modernism Week. And that was at the Vintage Trailer Show. And Airstream Life Magazine asked me to come out and just to take pictures of what was going on there. And so I was wandering around. And it was before it opened. And these two boys were just running around. And they caught my eye. So I saw them. And I found their parents. And I asked the parents if I can take their photograph. And they said, sure. So I tried to set them in front of the trailer. And they were just so rambunctious. They were running all over the place. And I kept saying, no, 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 just stay there. And they weren't listening to me. And so I was telling the parents, you know, can, can you have them just, you know, not smile? And then the father yelled at them in French. I don't mm-hmm. know what he said. But for one second, they both didn't smile. And that's when I took the shot. Ah. Uh. Every aspect of, the, of that shot is great, particularly their body language. Yeah. You know, how one is sort of facing front and one is sort of slightly away, and then their hands are so close to each other. Right. And it's like, oh, my God. It's. I, I knew you couldn't set that up purposely, and it was like you just said. It was, it's, it was just like this one fraction of a second that you yep. had to be ready to capture, and otherwise it just would have been gone. Because a, a beat before or after, and it would have been the same photograph. Exactly. And if you see the contact sheet, that was just that one picture because before and after, 
they were making faces, you know how kids do. So, mm-hmm. but um, most of my photographs, I don't really, it's, it's more of a collaboration. I don't tell them exactly what to do because I feel that if I did, they wouldn't be comfortable and it wouldn't make for a natural photograph. So a lot of times I just take a photograph of what they're doing at the time. Yeah. How long do you, do you, do you spend with your, your subjects? Is it a relatively short duration of time that you photograph them? I know with, you know, with the, with the fishermen, you were there out, out with them for a while. But when you're making a portrait, how long do you, do you, do you need usually to to make a good portrait of someone well the ones that i do with strangers i'm not there for very long at all and i think and i try to get in there fairly quickly and take my photograph and go within a time where they're not annoyed that i'm hanging around (laughs) so and there's people have these peaks of excitement and then they're done with you so i want to be able to do some quick chit chat and then um, get the permission to take their photograph and then take it and then chat a little bit longer and then move along so it's not it's not a long period of time although you know the air streamers are different because it's an event for a few days so i'm there day after day but for the strangers on the road it's just um it's it's yeah it's like five ten minutes at most yeah tell me about max because he's <laughs> he's been with you for the last couple of years and is he a terrier mix is that what he has yeah i think so he's um a rescue dog from an organization in Southern California, and I adopted him. My other dog passed away, and so um, after a few months, I was decided I was ready to adopt another dog, and I went to a farmer's market and ended up um, bringing Max home. So, And Max is my first little dog. I'm used to bigger dogs. So at first, I was like, I don't know. He's so small, but... But I'm so glad that he came into my life because he's a constant source of entertainment on the road for me. <laughs> How so? Can you give me an example of that? Well, he's just obnoxious and he loves the sand. And we, when we go to the beach, he would just run all over the place. And I learned early on that he's an explorer as well. So he has to be leashed pretty much at all times or else he'll go. And, and I used to take videos of him at the beach and I knew it was secure so I can let him off the leash. And then he would just take off and go off in the horizon and I wouldn't see him anymore. But um, he makes funny faces and he's just he's just fun to be around, so it's nice. Having him around really sort of changed the sort of dynamic of that you had on the on the road because I think at one point you just you were out there completely by yourselves. But you know, even though he doesn't he probably isn't the greatest conversationalist. But what, he's a good listener. <laughs> <laughs> so what difference does that make for you in terms of just like your, your emotional and mental well being being out there, you know, in between the times that you're you know, you're driving around and you're and you're meeting people? Well, he's not necessarily a guard dog, so I wouldn't consider it to be a safety reason. He's just more of a companion and um having him on the road with me limits my ability to do things but at the same time I can't imagine traveling without him mm-hmm. in a sense because it gives me you know I have a companion so I wake up and we go for walks and you know we have a routine so it's nice to to have him for that routine but then again um, you know when it gets too hot I can't keep him in the van so he goes everywhere with me so there's some challenges in that respect especially in the summertime. In terms of the, just the logistics of handling your, your pictures, how does that work? Are you, I assume that you're taking a laptop out with you in the field, but are you actively editing while you're out there? Do you wait until you come back to Southern California to go through your images? How does that, how does that work? 
Well, the last year since I have the iPhone, I didn't have the iPhone at the beginning. And then I started getting lazy in a sense because it's so easy just to take the picture and put it on Instagram. Mm -hmm. But with my big camera, um, I would wait till I get to, let's say, a Starbucks or something where I can sit down with my computer and my external hard drive to to upload them. But I wanted to do that often. So um, I used to keep my external hard drive in my purse and my bag everywhere I went. So just in case the van was stolen, that I'd still have my photographs. So those are things to keep in consideration when you're traveling. And when you get these uh, assignments, or you know, you had a couple assignments from some of the publications, how is that that working? Is it are there people contacting you while you're already on the road, or is this happening when you're primarily, you know, um, a home in Southern California, and then you get opportunities? How does that sort of work? Because you're you're out there a good amount of the time, aren't you? Yes. Um, well, a lot of times I was asked to write an article and it's easy just to sit down on the computer and write an article and, and have photos with it and with my blogging. And then a lot of times um, I'll be on the road and Airstream Life will have a, a story in a certain state. And if I'm near, then I can go and take pictures and and submit those. So it really just depends where I'm at. And, and since I blog, a lot of people know. And if something comes up, then then I'll just work from the road and it's worked out pretty well. Yeah. You've written about realizing that you could get by with less than you thought. Yeah. Uh, you, wrote, you wrote one posting where you, you talked about how much you took with you initially that you actually never needed and, and probably never used and how you sort of let go of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then you, you talk about, about coming to the realization that, you know, in terms of just life that you really don't need much to, to be able to really, get the most out of it. Well, that was one of the first lessons learned, especially when um, you work in a corporate situation and you want to buy a home and you want to live the American dream, I guess. And so being able to detach from your things is a big step to being able to live in a van and live on the road. Because when I'm on the road, I don't miss my things. And that's a, um, people might not think of that like I don't miss getting a Pottery Barn catalog and things in the mail and I'm not much of a shopper. So I have just one suitcase full of clothes. And I figured since I move around so often, people don't really know that I've been wearing the same jacket a few days. You just have to get rid of the notion that you're going to be dressing out. Like I don't, I don't wear makeup. I don't need makeup. And if I get a shower every few days, then it's great. So you just have to, when you're living on the road, you just take, things when they come and you don't you have to realize that stuff doesn't matter anymore yeah you've been doing this for four years now this will be my fifth year fifth year so so you're you were able to because you still have a home in southern california that you i guess is sort of like your base camp yeah i rent it out okay so is that how do you work that out financially because i'm i'm sure that you had some money that you had saved up you know from your from your previous career but you know Money only lasts so long, even if you're living a sparse existence on, on on the road. So, how do you sort of manage it so you can stay out there doing what you, you know, to stay out there doing what you're doing? Well, um, it's it's pretty difficult. You need a, a big savings account, and when I rent my house out, I rent it for more than you know with a mortgage. So it's you know I can get money at those times, and then when I when I travel, I stay with friends as much as I can, so I don't have to pay for campsites, or I'll stay at a Walmart, things like that. So there's little, I cut corners in that sense to save money, for sure. 
So tell me how long you're, you're, you're on the road for during the course of a year. And it probably varies, but on average, are you, are you away like half the year, more than half the year? I usually come back to Southern California in the wintertime. And then I head out, um, as an example, I think I have one more month here and then I'm going to head out again. So it just uh, varies. Usually it's around um, June and then I go out until the end of the year. And then in between when I come back, I do trips locally, but I don't live in the van full time. But I'm gearing up to do that again. Where haven't you been? I mean, you you seem to have covered a lot of territory, but where where haven't you been that you're really excited about going to soon? Well, I haven't been to Alaska. So that's my last state. And I don't know if I'll be able to get there in the van, but at some point I'd love to visit. So that's one state. And and it seems like every time I go, I go around the perimeter of America. So maybe to f- go in right in the middle, then that would be something to explore that I haven't yet. So what was the, what was the thing that most surprised you about yourself as a result of going out there and, and doing this? I mean, you kind of go out there with sort of, you don't know what's going to happen to you just terms of just logistics and people that you encounter, but what did you sort of discover about yourself as a result of, of living this lifestyle? That's a good question. And um, I was asked that one time when I gave a speech and I was just, I don't know if I could answer like what I learned, but, but I think, I guess when I practice talking to people, then I learned that so much good can come out of it because it's easy for me and maybe some other photographers to isolate ourselves so much. Mm-hmm. And it's nice to have a community of people when I come back, like the photographers that I can talk to. But I think for me, it's challenging to just to introduce myself to strangers. So I guess I thought that it was easier at first, but now when I'm alone and I have to do it so often, it was hard. So I learned that about myself. And I also learned that that it's okay to be alone for periods of time. And it's funny because a lot of the women ask me, so do you get lonely? And the men ask me, what kind of equipment do you use? (laughs) (laughs) That's par for the course. Yeah, right. What do you feel like with the attention that you've been getting over the last couple of years to your work? I'm sure that some of that has caught you by, by surprise, but how have people been finding about what you're doing? You know, when magazines and, and, and different people are approaching you and contacting you about your work, is it primarily happening through the, the blog, through word of mouth? What are people telling you? I think it's a lot of that. It's, um, and a lot of it is I'm trying to market myself as well. And I think it's that maybe people uh, would tell their friends about it. And I also have like this little camping site on Facebook of other people that like to, other women that like to go out and camp. And I think it's because um, people are just inspired by stories of other people just living their life the way they want to. And um, a lot of women come up to me and say, you're living my dream. And then they, after they say that, they say, if only I do that, if only, and then they fill in the blank. So Mm -hmm. I think um, a lot of, it's nice to hear from people that, it's something that they've wanted to do too. And I try to encourage people to do it because I think that anybody can, if they really wanted to. So what's, what's the difference between the people that you know that go out and do it and those that are in the, that if only group, is there anything that's sort of a common factor that you feel like is something that you can put your finger on and go, this is kind of what differentiates those, those two groups. 
Well, I think it depends on how bad you want it because I feel that if you really wanted it, you'll do everything you can to achieve it. But if you don't, you'll make excuses excuses of why you're not doing it. So I think because I know people that have kids that live on the road and I know people that own homes that live on the road and these are or they're married and they live on the road. So those are a lot of the if onlys I get. Yeah. So I think if they really wanted to do it, then they can f- figure out ways to do it. And I think that holds true for most things in life, really. Yeah. You, you've talked about all the different characters that you've met. But is there is there one person that you've encountered in, in the last several years where you felt like, man, if I had never made the choice to do this, I never would have met this person and had that experience? Does this one <laughs> particular come to mind? Well, I guess I would have to say Really, the whole Airstream community, I mean, it's been such a blessing to me in all aspects because it's it, it's not just a job. It's all those people that I met at Illumapalooza because it's almost like these little branches of a tree that they've offered me to stay at their house, and I've kept in touch with so many of them. And once I, I took them off on their offer, then that would open the doors to so many other things. So... I think it was because of Airstream and Olympalooza that I was able to do so many of the things that I've done on the road. So where do you want to take this next? Do you have sort of a, a game plan for how many years you would want to stay on the road and, and what you want to do with your photographic career? Have you given much thought to that? Or are you just kind of leaving it open and, and deciding that, well, at some point, if I need to make a change, I'll kind of know it? That's a good question because um, last year I just thought to myself, well, that's it. I'm done. And then I'm like, okay, I can't wait to go again. <laughs> you know, and I feel maybe sometimes that when I'm, I'm staying put in one place, I get a little anxious that I want to move again, that I want to go out and explore. And I think, I think that feeling will always be with me, but it would be nice to be able to be in one place for a while and then travel to another place because I feel that the van is my home on wheels so it can just go anywhere. Yeah. What do your friends and family think of that, of the whole thing? Because I'm sure they had some trepidation and they were really wondering what is wrong with Allison that she wants to leave this job and <laughs> live out of a van or a truck, right. but but now that they know the fact that well, she's been doing this a while, what what do they make of it now? Well, it's funny because when I first decided to drive around the country without a plan, my mother would be so afraid of you know what would happen to me, and that's the reason why I started blogging to begin with because I just wanted my mom to know that I was okay. And, and it's funny because sometimes I'd be out of range and I couldn't put a blog up fast enough. And then without her calling saying, are you okay? You haven't blogged, you know? So, and then most of my friends I'm in town, I've been in town for a couple months and I'll see them out and they're saying, Oh, you're back. So that's, I get that a lot. Oh, you're in town. Oh, so nobody really knows exactly where I'm at, but um, except a few close friends and they're used to me running around so so where would you like to take your photography next i i'm constantly challenged and i want to get better and i would love to be able to um do a book someday maybe do a a nice uh, show of, of the people that i've met on the road perhaps and um so I don't know we'll see i think one thing leads to another and i have these ideas but We'll see what happens. 
Well, my last question that I ask each of my guests is that I ask them to recommend another photographer for our listeners to go out and explore on their own. And it can be anyone, someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that one person be and why? Oh, wow. Um, There's so many great photographers out there. And I guess recently I have to say that um, Shelby Lee Adams, his book, Salt and Truth, really caught my eye when it first came out. And I couldn't stop looking at his portraits and of the people that he took in the Appalachian Mountains. And I just think it's just, and especially since he stuck with it for so many years, that's you know, something to admire for sure. And just the portraits have so much soul. And um, so I would say him, but there's so many other great photographers too. But for um, that one question, that book really stopped me in my tracks. Yeah, he's his portraiture is just fantastic. Mm-hmm. That's a great suggestion. Mm-hmm. So where can people find out more about every, uh, everything that you're doing and you and your work? Well, um, you can, my blog is Allison's Life. That's with one L. And then my uh, photos are Allison Turner Photos. And I'm also on Instagram on Allison Travels and then Facebook, you know, all the social media sites. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you, Allison, so much thank for you your time. So it was really fun talking to you. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. The Candid Frame is supported by donations from people just like you. You can help support the work we do here by visiting the website at thecandidframe.com and contributing using PayPal. You can also support the show by writing a review in the iTunes Music Store or by adding a link to the podcast on your website or blog. The editor for this show is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. Music is by Kevin McLeod. And this is Ibadian X, and this is... The Candid Frame.